Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I got a ton of stuff to talk about, so I'm going to try not to ramble too much and get through it as quickly as I can. Also, at the end, the Game Hunter and I went to an arcade exhibit at the Aviation Museum, and I got some great footage and some great info about that as well. So I guess let's just jump right into it. I guess I'll start out with a piece of news that everybody probably has already heard this week. Nintendo is releasing the NES Mini, so it's basically just a miniature version of the front-loading NES console that has two classic controller ports in the front, so basically just like the Wii's classic controller. It's going to come preloaded with 30 games, and I'll have a link in the description so you could click on it and see which games, but they have things like Mega Man 2, all three Marios, both Zeldas, so you know they certainly got all the classics in there. And it's going to have HDMI output, um, and it's not upgradable at all, it's just what you see is what you get with it. But it sounds really cool. And you know, a lot of people online were saying, oh, but you know, it's just like that Genesis all-in-one console. But it's not, because those are all composite video, and this is HDMI. So we'll see if they actually do a good job on it. And, but I wouldn't get your hopes up for that at all. I mean, I would love to see integer scaling and 4K support and scan lines and uh, you know, overscan support with the scan lines still lining up. But just don't hold your breath breath for it. Just expect a basic console from Nintendo. But for $60, November 11th, I'm probably going to buy it anyway, because it just seems like a neat thing to have. And I don't collect most things. Like, I know it's probably hard to believe when you see all the crap in the boxes behind me, but all that stuff I either use, use for the website. Um, There's very few things I have that I actually just keep in a box and collect because I want to have them. And this is definitely going to be one of them. I'm probably going to unbox it, play it once or twice, then put it back in the box and have it look really cool up on my shelf behind me. So, um, more info on that when it comes. But uh, it just seems like a neat toy that classic uh, Nintendo lovers would probably enjoy. Super G announced that he's making steady progress on the G-Comp Switch, and it should be available in a few months. The G-Comp Switch is the 4-to-1 component video automatic switcher that he designed that's similar to his SCART Switch, but for component video, with zero loss in quality. So I'll keep everybody updated as soon as there's any more solid info or a pre-order. Next up, another Metroid 2 remake is being officially released on August 6th. I'm really excited for this because I've been playing AM2R since pretty much one of the first playable demos was released, and I absolutely love it. The developer really made it feel like Nintendo itself took the time to redo Metroid 2, and the graphics are gorgeous, the, the music is great, the gameplay is just really tight, um, and I'm very excited for it. Uh, there is only going to be PC and Linux releases at launch, I believe. And then he said later on he'll try porting it to Android and stuff like that. But um, I'm really looking forward to it, uh, and I hope uh, everybody downloads it. It's free, so you know, so don't have to worry about buying it. But definitely check it out if you're a fan of Metroid 2, um, and hopefully you guys will like it as much as I did. Engadget just posted an article about an optical drive replacement for the Dragon's Lair arcade console. I thought it was really interesting, and although I'm fully aware of all the optical drive replacements that are out for consoles, I didn't actually realize that a lot of the arcade games had laser discs running it, um, the ones with the full motion video like Dragon's Lair. 
So it was a really great read, and it was kind of interesting to see the work people had done to preserve these arcades so that uh, even though uh, eventually the laser discs are probably going to rot through, the players are going to stop working, you'll still have the ability to play the games and experience them the way they were meant to be. So anybody interested in old arcade games or anything like that, definitely give the article a read. I thought it was really interesting. ThinkGeek is now selling a Mario Brothers poster for $13. That's the entire first level of Super Mario Brothers. And uh, it comes in pieces, so you could arrange it, or you could kind of have it as like a border around your ceiling, or, or bordering the ceiling. But ThinkGeek, I have such mixed feelings about them, because I have wasted so much money on that website. Because they have so many neat things, so many retro gaming stuff on there, and it just... All of it's useless. I mean, I, I'm moving soon, so I'm not going to pick up the Mario poster, but as soon as I figure out where I'll be living for at least an extended period of time, I probably will put this up and use it as the border for my office or something. And it's just, it's fun, but useless. But if you guys want to waste a bunch of money, go check out ThinkGeek and buy all the stuff they have on there. A really cool interview was posted on YouTube about the guy who's doing the optical drive replacement for the Sega Saturn. Um, I think he goes by Dr. Abrasive, but he's also JHL on Assembler Games forums. Um, and I've actually been following those threads since they, since they were made, pretty much. Um, and while there's a few optical drive emulators for the Saturn now, um, the, what he's designing is one that actually plugs into the MPEG card slot and back that doesn't require any modification at all. So you could use USB, or I think it's USB or SD card, and you slide it in the back and you could play games right off of it. There's no word on when it'll be available to the public, but he is planning on releasing it eventually, and I've been, I'll been i obviously update everybody as soon as it's released, but it's actually a really interesting video. It's long, but I sat through the whole thing and never got bored once, so um, if you guys want to watch a pretty cool interview, I'd highly recommend just giving that one a watch, and I'll, I'll have that in the description as well. A user on the Crix forum named Fabio Rosendo has posted links to all of the Genesis and Master System patches required for the EverDrive. Now, all of these are already available in the Smoke Monster ROM set, but much like the N64 one I talked about a few weeks ago, I think it's really awesome just to have one thread that has everything linked in it, so that way if you only need one game, or if you just want to reference what the issue was, there's one central place to go. Um, I would love to do something like this on my site, but I just, I, I can't keep up with all of it, so hopefully the Crix forums will be up for a long time so people could still come back and reference these things, but I just find it super helpful, um, and anybody that has an EverDrive, even if you already have the Smoke Monster ROM set, maybe just take a look at this and, and see if everything lines up and see if there's something you're missing that, uh, that you would have wanted, but uh, thanks very much to Fabio Rosendo and uh, everybody that does these things, please keep it up, it's really appreciated throughout the community. Next up, GameTech is now releasing the High Def NES as a constant pre-order. Um, I already tweeted about it this week, like I promised, anytime there's ever critical news like that, I always post on Facebook and Twitter immediately. But just to explain what he's doing, he's kind of setting it up the same way as Super G, where it's going to be a constant pre-order. So if you want one, you go in and you prepay, you buy all the options that you want, and then as soon as he gets enough orders in to do a run from China, he'll have a, a full run of boards made, and then package them together and ship them out and then just keep the pre-order ongoing so that it, it, there's always something building up for the next order. Uh, I think this is a great way to do it and uh, he's got a bunch of options in there. The only thing I will suggest is I would get the cap kit for it too, the capacitor replacement kit. I've actually been lucky enough where a lot of the Nintendos I've bought and used don't need any cap replacements, they all work perfect, 
But it's such a cheap thing, and it's such just a great precautionary thing to have. Because I've seen boards get damaged because a capacitor leaked out on it and kind of corroded things a little bit. So it's such a cheap thing. And, you know, if you're going to do it yourself, well, if you're going to do this install yourself, it's a little complicated. So you probably already have the skills to do it. Or if you're going to hire out one of his official modders to do it, they're probably not going to charge that much more anyway. So it just seems like a smart move. The console's already open. You know, you might as well just do it and guarantee you've really got the best possible quality you could out of it. So uh, thanks to Jason for opening up the pre-orders, and uh, mine should be coming back next week, so I'm excited to try another one. Someone on the Assembler Games forum found a British Telecom Super Nintendo cart. So I had actually heard about this a long time ago and completely forgotten about it. It's kind of like the Satellaview from Japan, but more like the Sega Channel from the U.S., where Time War- I think it was Time Warner Cable was able to actually pump Genesis games onto your Sega Genesis system. And it's something similar like that. Um, British Telecom users in the UK could buy it, and then they would be able to download games to their console. And it's pretty cool. Um, Retro on the Assembler Games Forum said that British Telecom ran a trial of their interactive TV service to 2,500 homes in two towns in 1995 and 1996, but it didn't amount to much. It used the Voyager 2000 set-top box, and there were nine services. There was a few other people partnering with British Telecom that year, but it kind of got scrapped um, and ended up in skyboxes. So it's uh, it's always cool to see this old tech, and I don't think there was anything special like the Satellaview. I don't think there was any special broadcasts or special games. I think it was just a way to kind of buy games over the internet um, and some of the earliest ways to do so. So it was neat to see, and you know, it's not really anything will come out of it, but if anybody's interested, check out the links, and just kind of cool to see another piece of history that uh, was kind of ahead of its time. YouTuber Metal Jesus Rocks found a U.S. version of the N64 disk drive. This was pretty interesting because it was supposedly never even demoed outside of Japan, but it had a menu that booted in English, and it had a U.S. sticker on it. They actually, I believe he and a few other people tweeted a few Nintendo executives, or former Nintendo executives, who confirmed that yes, it was actually in the States at one point, and they were testing it, but since it was such a failure in Japan, they never bothered to even go much further than having a prototype for the U.S., but it's another kind of neat thing to see, and he's got a good video up on it that shows detailed pictures, so definitely check out his video. And he's got a pretty popular channel that uh, reviews games and talks about retro gaming. I've never really gotten into it, but people seem to love it, so definitely give it a chance and see if it's something you'd like. Ben Heck just posted a pretty detailed video about the Nintendo PlayStation, which was the Nintendo CD console that they made with Sony before they decided not to go through with it, which caused Sony to actually go out and make the PlayStation. So it's always been a pretty fascinating piece of history just to think that, you know, PlayStation and Nintendo could have been the same thing. Um, and then, you know, it was just Nintendo's idea that caused them to go out and make their own. So that alone was a, a cool story that I liked, but the fact that somebody actually found a working prototype of it was pretty awesome. Um, so check out Ben Heck's video to see how it works and uh, and just kind of enjoy the different pictures of a piece of hardware and an entire era of gaming that might not have existed if this had gone through. Speaking of Nintendo PlayStation, the first homebrew game for the SNES CD was released. Um, it's available as a ROM uh, to be used in emulators, and it kind of mimics the functionality of the SNES CD. 
And it's just a kind of a silly game, but it's it's kind of cool to see that we're still capitalizing on things that were made, and even the things that didn't go through all those years ago. So I just thought it was kind of cool that somebody had started making homebrew for it, and who knows, maybe we'll see fun ports, like maybe we'll see Tomcat Alley on Super Nintendo now, but definitely something worth checking out if you have a, a ROM cart that could play it. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, so I don't know anything about it other than that it was released, um, but please leave comments if you've played it and what you think about it. And for the last thing, to follow up on a piece of news from a few weeks ago, I actually got those Nintendo Van sneakers. I found a pair that fit me somehow, and uh, they're awesome. And the box that came in is incredible. They look great. I actually wore them up on stage uh, for the last show we played at the casino last week, and uh, it was awesome. I have the video up on that as well, so I'll, uh, anybody that wants to see it, I don't know if you could see the shoes in it, but it, just, it was so neat to know that I was wearing Nintendo shoes up on stage. Um, I did a really quick unboxing. I know you guys said that you probably didn't want to have any kind of unboxing or anything like that on the, on the weekly roundups, but it's less than a minute. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, it's really cool to see. If you're listening on the podcast, don't worry, it's super quick, but I'm just going to stick that in right now for you guys to watch and then move on to the Q&A stuff. I thought this was so cool, I had to just do a quick little video of it. So these are the Vans Nintendo sneakers, and it's made to look exactly like a Nintendo console, which is hilarious. And yes, I had to get 13 because my fucking feet are huge, but... Yeah, not bad, not bad. Now onto the Q&A stuff. Lou Billy asked how I felt about the lack of availability of some of the homebrew projects out there. Um, I'm going to try not to go off on a rant about this. I'll try to keep the, this as quick as possible, but I've been on both sides of that. So I've been there for the G-Scart switch where I helped uh, Super G do the first rollout of the latest version. Um, and most people were just really awesome and supportive. But then you get guys that think if they send five emails a week, I'm just going to magically appear with theirs first or or have one that doesn't exist for them you know we had some people email us asking um you know if they could pay extra which is nice but no that's not fair we had one guy ask if we could set up a payment plan for him which no offense man but we worked really hard on that we don't have time to do any of that stuff so i i see I saw how it was as somebody who was part of the people selling it, how frustrating it could be and how hard it is to try to please everybody. Um, but on the other side of that, I love this stuff. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of greedy. I want it and I want it now. And especially if it's something that I really love and really feel like it's something I would use on a regular basis, kind of like the G-Scart Switch. Um, I've always been polite about it, but I still get frustrated. But I think the other side of that, too, is I was uh, there was one pre-order that they announced, you know, go on at 1 p.m. Eastern time and then you could buy it. And I logged on at like 12.55 and they were all sold out. They just decided to open the pre-order early and not tell anybody. You know, stuff like that's really shitty. And, you know, the, the same one, actually, there was a, an earlier pre-order that a few people I'm friends with never got theirs. And when they emailed, they said, oh, too bad, I must have lost your pre-order. They'd already paid and they still didn't even get it in the first two batches. So... Some people do handle it badly, but I feel like both Super G and Jason from Game Tech really nailed it, whereas they're not big companies. They can't just lay out $100,000 for tooling and production and then sit on product hoping it'll sell. So the pre-order model, I think, is pretty great for homebrew stuff like these, where you know you just announce your project, show that it works, show that it's real, have people pre-order it, and then every time you get enough to place an order, you place the order with the manufacturer, and then the people get it, and you start over. 
It's not the most efficient way to do it for anybody, but it does seem like the one that really is just, it's just going to work best and keep the flow going. Um, I'm trying to think of other ways to help this. You know, I would love to get like a central office where you get a 3D printer and a, one of those, they even have now where you can print your own circuit boards at home. And I'd love to be able to have a retro gaming community where we could all just you know, pile these projects up and anybody who makes something, we could make a run of 10 for, you know, for cost and sell them to people who are testing it. So anybody that has ideas for that, you know, maybe think about it. And when the time comes, hopefully we could come up with better ways to do it. But for now, I think the pre-order model really is the best. And that way you don't have to, you don't have to worry about waiting in line. You don't have to worry about, you know, jumping on at the exact time to get it. I know people were pretty frustrated about that, about the G-SCART switch, that it was only a limited week that the original pre-orders were open. So um, hopefully that answered the question. And I hope I understood your question, uh, your question correctly. But um, yeah, anybody who has comments on that stuff, please let me know. And if anybody could think of a better way to do it, we're always, everybody in the community is certainly open to that. Next, YouTube user Merrick Steele, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, um, he saw the video last week and decided to test his monitor for lag using the FrameMeister, and he confirmed both that the FrameMeister has about one and a half frames of lag, and that this one monitor has pretty much zero. So I'll link to it in the description, but um, it's a 27-inch monitor that looks good and has pretty much zero lag. I know Blizz has actually posted about his as well, but it's really cool to know that it definitely is possible, and they definitely exist. I wish it was 47 inches and not 27 inches, but hey, whatever, uh, I'll take what I can get uh, at this point. But if anybody's interested in a lag-free monitor, please check the description. It's, and it's not too expensive, either. On Facebook, John Bossom asked about the power strips that I was using when I talked about routing everything through a couple power strips and just having to turn that one thing off. What I actually did was use two Belkin 12 outlets. So if you just search uh, eBay for Belkin 12 outlet surge protector, they're the ones that have enough space to fit those big AC adapters. And if all you're using is one of those, um, you could just turn that off when you're done. I actually used two. So I had them both running through an industrial strength AC extension cord. And at the end, I used one of those combiners. Uh, once again, one of the outdoor rated industrial strength ones that you could plug. I could plug two surge protectors into this, then that into the extension cable and that into the wall. And I know you're not supposed to, uh, don't plug the surge protector into another one, plug them both into the extension cord. Um, and you're not really supposed to do that either, but I only had one console on at a time, or three technically if it's Genesis, Sega CD, and 32X, but um, I certainly wasn't drawing way too much power, and to be honest, this industrial strength AC extension was probably overkill, but better safe than sorry. But that way when I was done using it, all I had to do was just pull this one end out of the wall, and it disconnected all the systems. Um, turning off the, uh, if you only have one surge protector, just turning the switch off is fine. And they even have those wall outlets where you could hit the reset button that actually disables all of the power to it. But I, I was a little bit paranoid and wanted it completely pulled out of the wall. So that way, if even there was a lightning strike or something, I wouldn't have to worry about my consoles getting zapped. But it seemed to work well and there didn't seem to be any ill effects. So that's definitely what I would recommend if you're in a similar situation for hooking up your consoles. Meet Giel asked if I had any sources of information for repairing your own PVMs. Um, there are a few threads on both Shmups and Assembler games uh, that he even pointed out that kind of showed 
uh, people would offer help, but there's not really one repository for it, and it's something that I really want to work on. Um, I'm actually hoping to get somebody on an interview here within the next few weeks talking about CRT repair, because it's rare to be able to find somebody that could still work on it. And, you know, a lot of these PVMs and BVMs that we've been using for retro gaming have thousands of hours on them. They were pretty beat up. If we could do a cap replacement and a calibration, even if we use them all the time, we're still using it way less than they were used in, in their own day jobs. You know, even if we game on it every night, it'll probably last 15, 20 more years with heavy gaming on it without really needing that much else. So um, if anybody knows good sources for that, please email me or post in the comments. Email's probably better. And that way I could start developing a list and then I'll talk to everybody and Hopefully it would be great if we could find people around the world, uh, especially around bigger cities, that would still be able to fix these and do a cap replacement and calibration for, uh, for a cheap price and also offer help online. So a lot of people are totally comfortable working on CRTs. They know how dangerous it is and how you could definitely die if you do the wrong thing. I want to make sure to stress that. Don't go poking around in there if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but you know, maybe having a community effort for that would help everybody. So if you know anybody, or, or if you know any places, or, or even any other places online that have this info, please let me know. Simbin posted a comment in reference to last week's talking about the SD to SNES fake cart that I got, the knockoff. Um, and he reminded me that the SD to SNES is an open source project on GitHub, so anybody could make it. And while that's true, I still would really consider that Chinese version a fake knockoff because it doesn't work right. Um, and while, yes, I mean, I, I really wish all these cards could be cheaper because I wish more more fans of them could get them in their hands, I still want to support the developers working on them, and especially guys like Crix, who makes a bunch of ROM carts that I use. So while, yes, it's awesome that Crix is now offering cheaper ROM carts and will hopefully go down the line and make all of his other ones more affordable, for the ones that are more expensive, I do still think that we should all support the developers directly, or at least find a place that makes them cheaper but really high quality. So that's definitely not what I got. I got a piece of junk that was a, a bad copy of the Crix version of the SD2 SNES. So, um, yeah, if anybody knows a good place to get them cheap, uh, I'll definitely post that because it is open source. But I still would strongly recommend people buy them from the, the known good resellers. Will Mitchell said that uh, my summary of the Dreamcast stuff wasn't very clear, so I wanted to make sure that I went back and reiterated that so um, everybody understood what I meant. Um, if you want to get 480i and 240p out of a Dreamcast, you can just get a cheap SCART cable. Uh, you know, I'm not sure which one you could find that's high quality, maybe an official Sega one, because neither of the regular cable manufacturers make them for Dreamcast. Um, but I, I've seen people buy a cheap $10 SCAR cable that worked okay. Um, if you want, you could also get a VGA cable that runs 480p. You don't need a VGA box. All you need is a VGA cable. I've tried a handful of them, and maybe two out of the four, um, I used to get horizontal lines going diagonally, well, diagonal horizontal lines across the screen when using it, because they just weren't good quality. Um, if somebody made a good quality one, if I knew for a fact that there there was a cheap, high-quality VGA cable for the Dreamcast, um, I would definitely list it and, and link to it on the Dreamcast page, so that way people could have a cheap version of just getting 480p. But neither of those are the case, which is why I always recommend the Behar Brothers boxes, because even their, their cheapest one is a basic box that just supports all three resolutions, 240p, 480i, 480p, 
uh, and it's switchable between VGA and RGB. So that kind of solves all the problems, and I've never had an issue with their boxes. Crystal clear video output always looks great. Um, so I hope that cleared it up for anybody that didn't understand. Is it's you know you don't need a box for 480p. It's just the Behar Brothers boxes are better quality, which is why I always suggest them. So I hope that cleared it up. And to close out the Q&A, Harry Button had a couple of questions that kind of tied together, so I think I'll just answer them down the line. Um, he asked about the Neo Geo RGB bypass board. Um, so that's, for anybody that doesn't know, the Neo Geo consoles with the older serial numbers, the old original revisions, outputted a higher quality RGB signal than the later ones because they figured out that most people were just using it for a composite video, so they kind of tweaked the circuit to make composite look better. Um, Arcade TV came up with a board that um, you remove some components, install this in its place, and then all of the AES consoles output the same quality video. Um, that was good, and I liked it, but I'm a little leery about kind of modding anything on a Neo Geo, because they're expensive, and they're rare, and I just, if I could get away with not cutting anything at all, I would really prefer that. Um, so Tim's AV driver, which was actually your next question about, do you know anything about his new AV driver board? I think that might actually be a better choice simply because you don't have to cut anything. He designed that board to all, to be soldered into existing systems and not cut or change anything. So I have been working with him. I've been talking to him about it and I think it would be awesome if we could figure out a way to just post a guide up on my site that has the correct jumper settings for the AV driver and the solder points on the Neo Geo and then just solder it in, and I personally would even run an external connector so that you don't even have to uh, cut or mod the connector. That's up to you as well. But So I feel like that might be a better solution that accomplishes the same thing that's completely reversible and easily reversible. Um, but I'll try to figure that out with Tim. He's even busier than I am, so I'm not sure when we'd be able to get to that. Um, but as far as if I'll be selling anything like that or not, I'm not actually selling anything anymore. Um, the last things I have for sale, I have a few of those uh, N64 or Super Nintendo RGB bypass boards on there. And once those are gone, I'm not selling anything. I'm just so out of time. Uh, and all the free time I do have, I really want to spend going back to the website and kind of... Uh, there's a few pages that really need some attention. There's some things that need updating. So rather than spend all the time of packing and shipping and dealing with inventory, I'd rather just spend all that time back into the website. But I will be linking to other people's stuff. So everything that I sell, or that at least that I used to sell, and this current board, other people will be selling them. So there will only be a short period of time where you won't be able to get any of these things, and then they're going to be right back in stock through other people, and I'll link directly to that. So I hope that answered all your questions, and um, yeah, I mean, I personally can't wait to have my Neo Geo modded with a solution that makes it actually perfect quality, because I have one of the later revision serial numbers, and the RGB output is pretty blurry compared, so I'll definitely talk about it on the podcast and post immediately when there's a final solution for that. Up next, the Game Hunter and I went to an exhibit called the Arcade Age at the Cradle of Aviation Museum in Long Island. And it's basically just, um, they set up an arcade with a bunch of different examples of different types of arcade games. And we went down, um, the Aviation Museum was pretty cool. It wasn't, it was very small, so there weren't many planes there, but I always loved airplanes, so it was kind of neat to walk around. And I honestly expected to be there for like 20 minutes. I figured I'd go in, shoot a video, and leave. But they had tons of great games, and I was there all the way to the end. Both uh, Francisco and I stayed the whole time, and we played pretty much every game there. 
And the one thing that really, really impressed me was the experience for some of these games. So things like in Afterburner, when you're flying, if you get hit with a missile, the you know the arcade stick shakes, and you know you have to hold on to it, and you feel that kind of like a rumble pack, but times a million. But even things like Marble Madness, I'm sure all of us have probably played that game at one time or another, but playing it in the arcade with the spinner controller is a totally different experience, and way better in my opinion. So if you're going down the hill and with a little marble, on Nintendo you just kind of tap the up arrow on the d-pad but in the arcade you have to sit there and spin the ball in the opposite direction and then to change directions you have to spin it that way so it really feels like you're working the marble down through the maze and i just it was really incredible there was a um a submarine game where you have to look through the porthole and and fire your missiles that way which even though it wasn't 3d it definitely gave it the effect that uh, you can't get by sitting on a couch playing or even on a a stand-up arcade with mame and all of the vector graphics games just looked so cool, and there's absolutely impossible to emula- emulate that because it's a totally different type of tube. And the one that really I thought was great was the Star Wars one from Atari from like 1982, where you know you have to go the the whole scene where you fly into the Death Star and you have to shoot your missile into the uh, into the middle. The vector graphics combined with they had real voice acting on it too. It just it was incredible, and I love stuff like that. And I, I really want to look into eventually opening up some kind of video game museum with an arcade in it that concentrates on the games like that. Where, you know, yeah, of course, yeah, I have to have Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and Pac-Man, but I really want to concentrate on the games where you can't emulate the experience at all without the original hardware in front of you. Um, they didn't have Daytona Racing, but that's a perfect example of, you know, they don't. E- Mame doesn't even work with Daytona, and if you want to line up four of your friends and play against each other, there's no way to do it without using the arcade. But that was something my cousins and brother and I used to love to do. You know, we'd go to the the local arcade in the mall, and we'd all sit down and race each other on Daytona. So anybody that's around the New York area should definitely check this out, and I have video of it coming up. Um, this is the first thing I've really done that it might stink for people listening on the podcast. I'm really sorry about that. I tried to talk a lot about what we were doing, but it might be better just to watch on YouTube. Uh, and it's not very long, so maybe just try listening and hopefully it won't stink. But um, I tried to get good footage of everything we saw, and uh, and Francisco liked it just as much as I did. He was pretty excited for all this stuff as well. So hopefully if you guys are in the area, you could drive by and take a look. It's going till September 5th to Labor Day. Um, And if you're not in the area, hopefully I did a good enough job showing it. Um, The Game Hunter, Francisco, put one on his channel as well, so I'll link to his video. Um, Maybe he did a better job. Probably. He's an awesome YouTube guy. He's a a great host, so I'm just going to assume his videos for that is better anyway. But hope you guys enjoy it, and here it is. Hey guys, I'm here with the Game Hunter, and we're at the Aviation Museum that has an arcade exhibit. Um, the Game Hunter has an awesome YouTube channel about all the newer mobile games out there, and he's starting a console channel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also lives right down the street from me, which is kind of funny because all the people I usually work with are all over the world, really. So yeah, actually one block away. Yeah, about one block size. away. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna walk around, and check out all the different arcades and uh, the different ways to play them, and uh, I don't know, we'll bring you along with us. It's so much different with the spinner controller. Yeah. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. You're right. I don't care if there's a controller. to Just for the 
coming towards you? I think so. This will give you like a 3D sensation with a vector Why is it like the Ah! They eat you? That's gonna way too much. Thanks for watching, and definitely check out the Game Hunters YouTube channel as well. His video on the arcade exhibit is pretty awesome and goes into more detail and shows a lot more gameplay, so if you're into it, I'll link to it in the description. As always, any comments or feedback are really appreciated. Take care, see you next week.